Please take a seat. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for these words of First Timothy chapter 6. And as we come to these very uh, practical instructions of the Apostle Paul, we pray that you would help us to see how these things apply in our own lives on a day-to-day basis, that we might bring honor to Christ in all the different walks of life which, we represent, which are represented here, that as each person here uh, seeks to live for Christ throughout the course of their week, that they might know more how to do that and to live lives which are pleasing to you and show the wonder of Christ. In his name, we pray these things. Amen. So please do have your uh, Bible open there at those words at the start of 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're only going to be looking at two verses this morning, so just a very, very short passage of Scripture. But if you've been with his services recently, you'll know that we've been uh, going through this great letter uh, of 1 Timothy, and you'll know that he spent all of chapter 5 in this letter talking about relationships within the life of the church. So he's, for example, talked about how Timothy himself must relate to various different people within the church. Older men, younger men, older women, younger women. He's talked about how the church must care for its most needy members and in particular, widows who have been left all alone. And he's also talked about how the the church family as a whole should relate to those who are elders within the congregation. So recently we've spent a lot of time thinking about relationships within the church family. And yet, of course, as Christians, we don't just spend time with other Christians. At least I hope we don't only spend time with other Christians. A lot of our time ought to be spent with people out in the world, people out in society. And that's what Paul turns to now. He's just spent that whole last chapter talking about relationships within the church. And now he just wants to spend a couple of verses talking about relationships with those who are outside the church and relationships that are out there in in everyday life. So I wonder, what will you be doing this time tomorrow? What does tomorrow morning have in store for you? Uh, Some of you will be maybe in a classroom. You'll be being taught by a a teacher or a a lecturer. Uh, Some of you will be working perhaps in an office or in a factory, uh, in a hospital, or in another kind of workplace environment. And as you're in that environment, inevitably, of course, you have to relate to other people in that context. And the question that we're looking at this morning is, as a Christian, how do you go about that? What does it look like for you to be faithful to Jesus in that workplace and in those workplace relationships? 
That's what Paul wants to think about now. It's a very practical concern, isn't it? He's writing this letter to Timothy, the minister there in Ephesus, and he wants to make sure that Timothy knows how to teach his congregation in Ephesus about being faithful to Jesus when they're at work. Now, the the structure of these verses, as you can tell already, is very, very simple. There's just two simple commands for us to listen to here. And notice that the first command is geared more towards people who have a boss who is not a Christian. And then the second command, as we shall see, is geared more towards people who have a boss who is a Christian, if they're in that kind of situation. And as we'll notice, each of these two commands has a certain reason that's attached to it. So two commands, each with a reason attached. And so here's the first of those two commands, and that is simply regard your master as worthy of all honor. That's obvious there, isn't it, in verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. That's worth just pausing here for a few moments to consider this matter of what the New Testament has to say about servants and slaves in passages such as this and also others as well in the New Testament epistles. Understandably, people can sometimes get uh, quite concerned about this. They read passages like this one before us this morning and they say, well, isn't that advocating slavery here? What on earth is going on? Well, the answer to that is that we need to make sure that we are reading such passages in light of the context into which they were originally written. So don't just read these verses and think of the 17th, 18th, 19th century slave trade, which is a different context for important reasons. Now, the the reality was that at that time there were about 50 to 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire back in the the first century. And you could go to pretty much any city throughout the whole of the Roman Empire, Rome or Corinth or Ephesus or whatever, and about a third of the population in those cities would have worked as slaves. It was probably the most common form of employment in those days. It was simply how the the economy functioned as a whole. Now, of course, in some cases, those slaves were very badly treated. But not in every case. There were some very well-off slaves in that environment. So, for example, we know that in those days you could be a slave and at the same time hold government office or own your own company, for example. Now, that's not to condone at all the the practice of slavery in those days. But it does help us to understand why the New Testament writers handle the matter as they do. And they're not interested in trying to stir up a political and economic revolution, something that actually in those days would have done far more harm in that society than it would have achieved good. And instead, their main concern, of course, as they write these letters, 
is to show Christians who are living in that context, what does it look like for you to live a godly life in the surroundings in which you find yourself, in this world in which we live? Now, how does all of that therefore apply to us as Christians today? We live in an environment where uh, the political and economic situation is rather different to what Paul is describing here. I'm sure none of us here are, are slaves. I hope that none of us own slaves, though of course that exists still in the world today. But the closest parallel for us, the closest line of application for us, is of course that workplace environment, how our economy functions. And that relationship that exists in the workplace now between employers and employees. And by extension, we then can apply it as well to other forms of, of relationship as well, where that same dynamic of authority and responsibility exists. So teachers and their students, for example. And in those kinds of relationships, Paul's first basic command is simply this. Regard your master as worthy of all honor. And so to those members of the congregation in Ephesus who earned their living as a slave in those days, perhaps working as a servant maybe in a household, Paul says to them, show honor to your masters. So turn up on time, work hard, be obedient, be honest, don't slack off when the boss is not watching, don't gossip behind the boss's back and, and so forth. And of course all of those principles apply to us today in the same way. If we're in that kind of situation in life where we work for another person, how as a Christian do you relate to your line manager or to your boss, to your team leader, to your teacher and so forth? Paul says simply, doesn't he, regard them as worthy of all honor. Show them respect. Be the, the best employee or the best student that you can possibly be. Obey instructions that are given to you. Work to the best of your ability. Put the hours in, put the effort in. Fulfill all of your responsibilities in that role. And by doing all of these things, regard your boss as worthy of all honor. Now there is an obvious question that needs to be asked here, isn't there? And the question is, well, what if my boss doesn't really deserve honor like that? What if they're a nasty piece of work? What if they make unreasonable demands? What if they're unfair to their employees? I'm sure that many of the members of that church in Ephesus had masters who were like that. Masters who treated them very unfairly. And maybe, unfortunately, you find yourself in that kind of situation as well. You have a, a boss at work, perhaps, who doesn't treat you the way that they ought to treat you. And in such a set of circumstances, which is, of course, incredibly difficult... The question is, do you still need to regard your master, your boss at work, as worthy of all honor? 
Well, that's a very good question to ask, isn't it? And it's a question that actually Paul has already answered for this church. Remember, this letter, 1 Timothy, is sent to the minister of the church in Ephesus about his ministry and how to lead the church there. But of course, you know that Paul wrote another letter to that same church, and it was addressed to the whole congregation. We call it Ephesians. And Paul deals with the same matter as he writes that letter to the whole congregation in Ephesus. It's in chapter 6 of the letter to the Ephesians. And he writes these words, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. That's very notable, isn't it? That in that section of Ephesians 6, where, where Paul is talking about how to relate to earthly masters, actually, if you listen carefully, he only mentions earthly masters once in that paragraph. And yet in contrast to that, he mentions the Lord Jesus Christ four times. And you see, the point is that whoever your earthly master may be, and whatever they may be like, if you're a Christian, ultimately Jesus is your master. Jesus is your boss. And ultimately, it's him you're serving. Ultimately, it's Christ you're, you're seeking to please and to give honor to as you work in that workplace. And one of the ways in which you do that is by showing honor to your earthly master. Because this is the will of God, says Paul. That's the, the first basic command that Paul has in these verses. And remember, Paul adds a reason to each of these two commands that we'll see this morning. And the reason is he doesn't just want to give us instructions to follow and that's it. As well as that, he wants to give us some, some extra incentive, some extra motivation in living this way. So why should we regard our earthly masters as worthy of all honor? And notice the reason that Paul gives here. It's at the end of verse 1. Paul says, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. And you see, the reason is that if you're a Christian, wherever you go, you are an ambassador for God and the gospel, the teaching. Now, people know that you're a Christian, and whether you realize it or not, they're watching you to see how you act. And secretly, they're thinking to themselves, well, this person says that they're a Christian. And I know that every Sunday, they're at church. And yet, actually, does that make any difference at all in the way that they live their everyday life? And you see, the way that you conduct yourself at work will inevitably have an influence upon how those in your workplace view the Christian faith. And therefore, if you're lazy at work, 
And if you're disobedient when you're asked to do something and if you're disrespectful towards your boss, Paul says it will cause the name of God and the gospel itself to be reviled by others in the workplace. And they'll think, well, clearly those Christians are too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly use. They're so caught up with reading the Bible and going to church and telling everyone else they need to repent. And yet actually here in the real world, when the rubber hits the road in the, the cut and thrust of nine to five, they're a nightmare to work with. And if that is what Christianity makes you, I can do without it. And you see, don't you, when Christians are bad employees, the name of God and the gospel are reviled. And yet the flip side of that is that if as a Christian you live the kind of life that Paul is talking about here, and therefore in every way you show honor to your boss by being the best employee that you can possibly be, that will commend God and the gospel to those around you in the workplace. So listen to these words now from Titus chapter 2, where Paul is talking about a similar issue. He says there, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. When you adorn something, what it means is that you make it more attractive in the sight of others. And you see, Paul says there in Titus 2, in your everyday workplace, you can adorn the gospel. And by being the kind of employees that Paul urges us to be here, the gospel becomes more attractive in the sight of those around us. And I don't know the ins and outs of all of your workplace contexts, but it may be the case that you find yourself in a workplace where it's just very, very difficult ever to cultivate any gospel conversations whatsoever. And I'm sure you'd love to do that. You'd love to have those conversations with your colleagues and maybe just the circumstances of your workplace make that extremely difficult and it may be the case that you're a bit frustrated and you've started to tell yourself that what you will do for your work throughout the rest of the week it really is of no use in God's kingdom and God's purposes and so you feel discouraged as a Christian because you think what am I doing for God doing this job where I never tell anyone about Jesus. And you see, Paul is saying here that there is in fact a vital and a very practical way that you can serve Christ, even in a workplace like that. And he's saying to us here, simply by being a respectful, obedient, honest, hardworking employee, you are serving Christ in that workplace and people will notice that and your boss and your colleagues your teacher your classmates they see that and they may not necessarily say it out loud but they'll think to themselves well there's something different about him or about her the way they conduct themselves here 
the way they don't cut corners in the tasks that they are assigned, the way that they don't join in with the gossip, the way they don't join in with the dirty jokes, the way that they're so honest in their dealings with customers. And the only explanation is that they're a Christian person. Or maybe there's something to it, after all. Ask yourself, what is that going to look like for you personally? In, in what way can you conduct yourself at work in a way that fits with what Paul is talking about here? How can you show honour to your boss, your manager, your teacher? How can you work at your job so that you're being a good ambassador for God and the gospel? How can you do your job so that the gospel is adorned, made more attractive in the eyes of those you work with and work for? Well, everything that Paul has said so far there in verse 1 has assumed that people are working for a boss who is not a Christian. And yet, of course, not every workplace is like that, is it? In some cases, you're going to be working with and for other Christians. Maybe that's the case in your circumstances at the moment. What if you end up working for a church? Or what if you end up working for some Christian organization or Christian charity? Or for that matter, what if you're working just in a a regular secular workplace and yet it just so happens that the boss there or your manager there is a Christian as well? And Paul knows that is going to bring a slightly different dynamic to your workplace. And that's what he picks up on in verse 2. So the second basic command is this. Serve your Christian master all the better. Serve your Christian master all the better. So Paul has in mind now any of the members of the congregation in Ephesus who are slaves and whose masters are Christians. Now, very likely, if that's the case, then they will also belong to the same church. And on Sundays, the whole household, the husband, the wife, the kids, and as well as as that, any of the servants or slaves who are also Christians, they all head to church together. And they sit in the pew next to each other, all in a row. And let's imagine that on a particular Sunday, this whole household is sitting there in the congregation in Ephesus and Timothy gets up at the front to start that Sunday's sermon and he says well brothers and sisters there's some exciting news for us as a church this morning we've just received a copy of another one of Paul's letters that we've never seen before it was sent around the the churches in Galatia but those churches there have kindly produced lots of extra copies of the letter and they've sent them round other churches so we've got this letter as well someone should really bind them all together in a volume but so far we've just got this letter which we'll call the letter to the Galatians and that's what I'll speak on this morning and so Timothy starts to read Galatians to the congregation in Ephesus and he gets to chapter 3 and verse 28 it reads as follows there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now imagine that slave sitting in the pew there next to his master, 
And he's just heard that in Christ there is no slave and free because we're all one. And that slave might wrongly understand that verse and think to himself, well, if I'm a Christian and if my master is a Christian as well, surely that means that I don't need to obey him so much anymore. In Christ, there's no distinction between slave and free. So we're on an equal footing now. And you see, there is that temptation, isn't there, that when a Christian works for another Christian, that they don't show honor to them quite as much as they would if their boss were an unbeliever. So they they slack off, they take it easy. They become very casual in their attitude at work because they think, well, after all, we're brothers in Christ. And Paul is saying here in verse 2, don't do that. Don't twist the unity of the church into insubordination in the workplace. That's good doctrine, but with bad application, isn't it? Twisting the unity of the church, which is a good doctrine, into insubordination in the workplace, which is a bad application of it. That's what Paul's getting at in verse 2, isn't it? Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Instead, Paul says, serve your Christian master all the better. Pull out all the stops in how well you work for them. And once again, Paul gives us a reason for doing this. So there in the second half of verse 2, he says, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. In other words, if you would show an unbelieving boss honor, which as we've seen you ought to do, how much more ought you to do, ought you to do so for a Christian boss? If you're working for someone who is a Christian, he is both a believer and beloved, says Paul. That is, through the work of the Holy Spirit, you and your boss are bound together in a common faith and a common love. Believer and beloved. And so serve him all the better. This is wise, practical advice that Paul's giving us here, isn't it? How can we serve Christ in our workplaces? Paul says, if your boss is not a Christian, even so regard him as worthy of all honor so that you can adorn the gospel in your workplace. And if your boss is a Christian, serve him all the better because he is a believer and he is beloved. And as we close, it's worth reminding ourselves that only in Jesus do we find both the perfect pattern and also the necessary power to be this kind of servant ourselves. These things that Paul has been speaking of in these verses and not things that we can muster up from our own resources. And as we close, I want you to see it's only in Christ that all of this is possible. And so we must look to him for this. So remember how Jesus said to his disciples, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then on another occasion, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And you see, if you want to be the kind of servant that Paul is talking about here, in your workplace, whatever that may be, then the way to do that is to look to Jesus and to find in him both the perfect pattern and also the necessary power to be that kind of servant yourself. And as Paul says to the Philippians, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's pray together. And our Father, as we reflect on these few words from 1 Timothy chapter 6, we pray that you would help us to put them into practice in our own lives. And we pray in particular for all those in our congregation here who spend the majority of their week working or studying in environments where they're in the minority as Christians. And in that environment, they often face hostility from those around them. And Father, we know how challenging that can be. And we pray that even in those circumstances that you would help them to honor Christ in their workplaces. Help them to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Help them to obey their earthly masters with a sincere heart, as they would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing your will from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Help them to be submissive to their own masters in everything, showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. And for any who find themselves working for another Christian, as Paul writes here, may they serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. And we thank you that in this the perfect pattern has already been shown to us in that Christ has humbled himself and he has taken the form of a servant, humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so whatever our station in life, help us to have that Christ-like, servant-hearted mind in ourselves, which is ours only in Christ Jesus. In his precious name, we pray all of these things. Amen.